This is U.S. Farm Report. We're onward to Orlando this weekend where the city is filled with cowboy boots and cowboy hats for the 2024 Cattle Con. And as the cattle industry gathered here in Florida this week for the annual convention, here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. Where's the beef? USDA shows the lowest cattle herd since 1951 as the U.S. cattle herd continues to shrink. But we have gotten smaller than we intended to be, smaller than we need to be from a market standpoint. And I think that's that's going to be where we jump off to think about where we go from here. While building this herd back may face more roadblocks than a decade ago. I think we're still looking at at late 2026 at the earliest before we see any any potential for increased beef production. As we explore the state of the cattle industry. And calving in the cold produced one unexpected miracle in Minnesota. That and more coming up this weekend on U.S. Farm Report. U.S. Farm Report, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on a cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Well, we're bringing you the show from the cattle industry's largest event of the year in Orlando, Florida. CattleCon 2024, seeing thousands of cattlemen and cattlewomen from across the country pouring into the convention center. From education workshops to market and policy discussions to inspirational speakers, the Cattlemen's Beef Association trade show also took place and the entire value chain on hand this week in Florida. And they had a lot of ground to cover this week after receiving new numbers from USDA about the size of the U.S. cattle herd. USDA releasing its biannual cattle inventory estimates, putting the total of all cattle and calves as of January 1st at 87.2 million head. That's 2% below the same time last year. All cows and heifers that have calved sets at 37.6 million head, also down 2%. Beef cows at 28.2 million head, again down 2%. All this setting up the tightest beef cattle market in more than 60 years. Well, we were also watching to see what the Federal Reserve would do after almost two years of increasing interest rates. The Fed indicating in December it would make three rate cuts this year. However, this week it announced it would be leaving interest rates unchanged for now. The Fed also saying that the first rate cut is still likely months away. Let me say that we have confidence. We're, we're, we're looking for greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably down to 2%. Implicitly, we do have confidence and has been increasing, but we want to get greater confidence. What do we want to see? We want to see more good data. It's not that we're looking for better data. It's we're looking at continuation of the good data that we've been seeing. Now, some analysts predict a rate cut could come in March. Several policy issues are being discussed at this year's CattleCon, including plant-based and cell-cultured meat products. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association throwing its support behind a new bipartisan bill in Congress. It's called the Fair and Accurate Ingredient Representation on Labels Act, or FAIR. It introduces specific definitions and labels for imitation meat and imitation poultry for plant-based meat alternatives. These definitions would apply to products that resemble meat, but do not contain actual meat. Other ag and livestock trade groups adding it will help prevent consumer confusion and protect the reputation of traditional meat products. Now, as of 2022, plant-based meats accounted for 2.5% of retail packaged meat sales. Now, Congress is also considering a pair of bills aimed at helping livestock producers protect their calves, kids, and lambs 
from predatory vultures. The two bills introduced in the House and Senate target the black vulture. It's a bird that's protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918. The law prohibits the killing, capturing, selling or trading of protected migratory bird species without approval of the Department of the Interior. Estimates suggest black vultures are responsible for the loss of thousands of newborn calves every year. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Wildlife Services reported that black vulture attacks on cattle increased by almost 25 percent between 2020 and 2022. The aim of the bills is to allow livestock producers to take the black vultures without a permit as long as they are protecting livestock. And of interest to all producers, a massive fire at a chicken farm in Texas this week. It happened at the Feather Crest Chicken Farm, a broiler operation late Monday. A pillar of smoke and huge flames were seen for miles as multiple fire departments rushed to the scene. They say all the tall metal buildings were collapsing, making it too dangerous to send firefighters inside. No word yet on how the blaze started. No one was injured, but they are still adding up how many animals were killed in the blaze. That's it for the news. Well, after a brutally cold start to the year, February could bring much warmer conditions across much of the U.S., not just here in Florida. We'll have a check of your weather coming up next. U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing, the widest cross conveyor in its class, 28 feet of full continuous merging and merge up to five 16-foot windrows into one in either direction. That's what you get with the H&S 6128 Twin Flex Merger. Find out more at the H&S website. Time now for a check of weather. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joining us this weekend. Matt, we traveled to Florida for warmer weather this week, but as we enter into February, it sounds like warmer than normal temperatures are in store for much of the central U.S. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. A bit of an unusual pattern setting up as we go into next week. In fact, we're already kind of in the middle of it. Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll see this pattern kind of unfold. And the unusual part about it uh, is the orange here. This is a ridge of high pressure, typically a ridge of high pressure when it expands or when it's taking up a lot of space, it blocks everything up especially the position of where it is in the United States. But what's happening over the next couple of days is we've got a trough or a low pressure system at the surface that's strong enough to actually undercut that ridge because that ridge isn't going anywhere. Now this is going to stay to the south with the green circle here. Cloud cover, heavy downpours, cooler temperatures. With the orange under a ridge of high pressure, if you remember in the summer when we talk about the ridge, you know, you've got clear skies and then warmer temperatures as the atmosphere is being suppressed. So kind of long way of saying this is the yin and the yang right across the United States. Typically, it's usually west to east. This time, it's actually north to south with the difference in uh, the conditions across the United States. By Monday, that trough moves out and the ridge with these white lines going back up here to the north kind of builds back in. Uh, so we set up once again that blocking pattern, but this time I don't expect it to be undercut by the trough or the low at the surface back out here to the west. Rather, we're going to get back into a more traditional pattern where the ridge dominates the forecast for you know, three, four, maybe even five days across the United States. And this trough is going to dig down, bring in some cooler temperatures, and that's where we start to see our pattern flip back to average. Remember this entire time, I'm talking about above average high temperatures. By next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll have these temperatures come back down to average. Then even after that, there's indications that another ridge is going to build. So again, another way of just kind of saying 
anticipate above average temperatures uh, in and across the United States for at least the first half of February, uh, potentially a little bit longer. Now the precipitation outlook it does have the possibility of wetter than normal conditions, but uh, that's mainly because temperatures are going to be above average. So we're not talking uh, snow. We're actually talking mostly rain where this comes down for the first half of February. Drier than average conditions back in the southeast and on the east coast. And uh, something that we uh, will continue to have is uh, a wet you know, part of the United States into southeast, uh, south, uh, southern California. There we go, southern California and the Four Corners. Temperature forecast. Like we just talked about, here's February 6th through the 10th, and you can actually extend that out all the way through about Valentine's Day for nearly two thirds of the United States being above average. Thanks, Matt. Well, as we told you earlier in the news, the U.S. cattle herd continues to shrink, falling to the lowest level since 1951. Some economists have doubts that we'll ever build the herd back to pre-drought levels. So what challenges could be ahead? Dave Delaney, Daryl Peel, and Neville Spear join us for a live taping from right here at the 2024 CattleCon next. U.S. Farm Report on the road from CattleCon 2024 is brought to you by Safeguard, your dewormer of choice, deworming your cattle for more than 40 years. By Corteva AgriScience range and pasture products. Slam the gate on weeds and brush. By Zoetis, follow one family's journey to pass down their ranch and their way of life at bornofthebond.com. A video series and true story brought to you by Zoetis. And by QLF, quality liquid feeds. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Well, as promised, bringing you our live marketing discussion from here at CattleCon 2024. A lot to talk about, starting with the cattle inventory report. Daryl came out this week. It seemed like it was pretty much in line with trade expectations, but were there any surprises for you? Not really a lot in the way of surprises. It was pretty well anticipated. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the, the, the take-home message here is, is pretty powerful in that this industry continues to get smaller. We got smaller through 2023, so we're coming into 2024 with uh, smaller cattle inventories pretty much across the board. And so, you know, and if you like superlatives, the, the current U.S. beef cow herd is the smallest since 1961. That's right. And the all cattle inventory in the U.S. right now is the smallest since 1951. Wow. So we have gotten smaller than we intended to be, smaller than we need to be from a market standpoint. And I think that's, that's going to be where we jump off to think about where we go from here. We knew that we were seeing contraction. Are there any signs that we're starting to rebuild this herd yet, Neville? Not yet, boy, and, and, and you know, right, we, we are seeing contraction and we saw it very early last year, right? We saw people selling cows month after month after month. And so really, this is the end. None of that's surprising given what we were seeing happening. And as we were talking about before we came on, 40% of the feed, on feed population is heifers last quarter. Right. So we're, there's no indication that we're ready to dig back in and start rebuilding. Dave, do you think the highs in the cattle market are in yet? Um, so that's a loaded question. We were talking a little bit off I like stage about that, right? So you know. Uh, short term, I think, as, as we look at uh, the fat cattle market, we're, we're on a plane of steady to maybe a softer undertone for a short period of time, right? But I do believe, and I'm not going to spoil it for whoever gets this question, we are going to go higher in the fat cattle market as well as the feeder cattle market. So, Daryl, he teed you up. You want to take that one? 
we, you know, we're nowhere near done with this thing, right? We had a tremendous run-up in prices in 2023, uh, and you can look at it, you can look at the setup last year, and I, and I know some producers are thinking, okay, we've got our run-up, we're close to the top. Remember that, you know, and we're comparing a lot to 2014 and 15, yeah, right. the last highs, but those high prices in 2014 and 15 happened a year to a year and a half into herd expansion. So it's when we save a lot of heifers and start rebuilding as that process evolves in the first uh, few months to a year or longer, that's what puts the highs in the cattle market. So we haven't started that process yet. That's all ahead of us. You think it could be beyond 2025? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we haven't even begun to retain heifers yet. And, and, and I think we forget, we talk about prices. You know, we, when we reached a low or in terms of production and prices were high in the last cycle, it was about 450 million pounds per week. We're still doing 510 or so, right? We, we haven't even begun yeah. to kind of scratch into that. Yep. Exactly. So Dave, when you look at rebuilding this cattle herd, we talked about the last time a, a decade ago, why is this different today? Um, I think there's a couple contributing factors. Number one is weather. We have had certainly a weather factor that has, you know, made producers sit here and go, if I don't have the feed, right? I'm not going to keep these heifers around. Number two, prices, economics. Daryl talked about lowest cow herd in, since 1960, right? I wasn't even born in 60, but I can tell you prices for butcher cows in 1960 were not north of a dollar, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I think it's economics and weather. Do you think the age of the average cattle producer today will come into play? You know, I think this, this market that we're in provides an opportunity for producers to sort of think about their own personal business plans and maybe transition plans. So we're going to see some of that. Um, my, my, you know, my uh, view of it from a market standpoint is what happens to those resources. If, if an older producer sees this as a way to exit the industry, they can finally retire. Uh, but those resources in most cases are going to stay in production. So it probably doesn't change the trajectory of the industry overall, uh, but we will see some change in who's in that industry and, and, and how it operates from that standpoint. All right, well, we're just getting started with this conversation, but we need to take a quick break, and then we'll have more U.S. Farm Report in just a moment. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Well, we talked a lot about the cattle supply and the shrinking cattle herd in the U.S. in our first marketing roundtable. As we see this contraction continue to take place and rebuilding is, is not taking place yet, do you think that that's going to start impacting packer capacity, Daryl? You know, it's a question that's out there. It's one that I get frequently. Um, you know, packers have to make expectations just like producers do. And, and I guess the way I see it at this point in time is I don't think packers are making those kinds of, of expectations that they, they're going to have to exit the industry. And obviously the big question would be who would do it, who would have to sort of give up first. Um, and so, you know, now if we go another two, three years, if drought continues and we're not done with liquidation at this point, there, will, there could get to be a point where that will become a more relevant question. I don't think it's an immediate question for the next couple of years at least. Neville and Dave, I see you guys shaking your head yes. You agree with, with Daryl? Yeah, I agree 100%. And it's never going to be an impulsive decision, right? If you're a big, large uh, packer, you're going to make that decision very, very carefully. Yeah. Dave, do you want to add anything? Uh, just on the other side of things, you know, let's, let's talk about one of the big four in the cattle. They, they've made some business decisions to shut down some poultry plants, right? Again, as Neville and Daryl said, it, it's certainly economics-based. But the other thing is, 
folks, we're going to add some new shackle in this thing in the next couple of years as well. Neville, when we look at uh, beef demand, yeah. we know with higher beef prices comes higher retail prices. Are we seeing any warning signs there with, with domestic beef demand? Boy, I just, you know, I just reviewed some data from uh, Anne-Marie Roaring, you know, 210 Analytics and showing you year-end results here. We still have pricing power. Pork and poultry don't have that. It's really been pretty amazing. Volume's down, but we, the beef industry has pricing power. Now, the question is, we have to continue to deliver a very high-quality, consistent product to be able to do that. And, Daryl, do you think the beef industry will do that? Absolutely. We've made so much progress. I think that that does uh, speak to the strength and demand that we've seen. Um, and again, going forward, we're going to have smaller supplies. That's likely to push prices higher. The market's going to ration a limited supply. It also means that some people are not going to eat as much beef because we aren't going to have as much beef. But that doesn't mean that there's a demand problem. It's just there's a limited supply and the market will figure out who, who wants it the most and who's going to be willing to pay the most. Dave, on the export front, as you do look at higher prices, you look at the strength of the U.S. dollar that just continues. What are, are there any headwinds that you're watching for beef exports? Yeah, I think there is. Certainly one of them is, uh, as we talk about exports, China, 1.3 billion people. Times any factor is a big number, right? <laughs> I do believe what, what we're seeing going on over there. Uh, during their ASF debut, and, and they have been on the hog side losing numbers, uh, they got a taste of U.S. beef tying, and they like it. I believe that uh, between you know the Asian Pacific Rim that we're going to see things grow uh, on the export side. Neville, are you optimistic about beef exports too? We, we can get there, but, you know, I think we need to remind ourselves amidst this market, this year's been tough, right? We've seen some challenges with South Korea and Japan and China, and, and um, you know, we do have some headwinds there, but the opportunity's incredible. Daryl, I know you talk to a lot of producers. You get a lot of questions, but what is the one thing that you want to leave cattle producers here with today? Well, again, I think, you know, really two things, you know, it comes down to this. What we're seeing now looks a lot like something we went through 10 years ago. That shaped our expectations then. I think it's shaping our expectations up to this point now. And I think what we've covered here today uh, sort of verifies the fact that this is, even though it looks the same on the face of it, it's a different setup right now. We don't have a heifers to start with to rebuild this herd. It's going to be a much slower process going forward. Well, I really appreciate you, Daryl. Uh, Neville and Dave, thank you so much for joining us. All right, we need to take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Hey there, welcome back to Tractor Tales, folks. This week we're Ohio bound to check out a Minneapolis Moline Z that still gets plenty of work done on the farm. 48 Moline Z, my father's second tractor, bought it new, never been away from the farm. It had a, a barn that was set up for eight mules. That was a major uh, effort for him. Do the work that he didn't want to have to hand crank to start it. Just general farm work. I. I'm sure raked hay with it. We had neglected it for a couple years and realized that wasn't right. So you see what it is now. Uh, total cleaning, including some sandblasting, uh, whatever chemical cleaning they used. But no, it's, it was taken down to largely bare metal 
and brought back the way it is. What's it mean just knowing we've still got something nice out of the past, out of my father's past, I guess. Now it doesn't sit outside. My wife's van can sit outside, but not this. Thanks, Greg. Well, cattle prices hit a record high in 2023, but it's 2024 shaping up to be even better. Michelle Rook has a look at the state of the cattle industry from right here at CattleCon 2024 next. You're watching U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Welcome back. Well, Michelle Rook has boots on the ground this week at the CattleCon 2024 to explore kind of the state of the cattle industry. And Michelle, when you look at 2023, I mean, cattle producers were dealt with record prices. As you're exploring the state of the industry for 2024, what are you hearing? Well, Tyna, I talked to a lot of industry experts here at the convention. And of course, USDA did confirm the smallest cattle herd in 73 years this week in the cattle inventory report. But those industry experts tell me that rebuilding of this herd is much slower than in past cattle cycles like 24 2015. In addition, they're optimistic about demand, and so all of this is positive for prices for the next few years. One of the worst droughts in U.S. history is still being felt by the nation's cattle producers. USDA says the U.S. cattle herd now stands at only 87.2 million head, with the cow herd the smallest since 1961. If you take heifer slaughter uh, plus cow slaughter, for the last two years, 2022 and 2023, over 51% of all the cattle we slaughtered in this country were females. And that had not happened since 1986. And market analyst Don Close of Terrain says that makes this cycle different than 2014-15 and more like 2011-12, just because female liquidation is still taking place. And he says there's no sign of herd rebuilding yet due to the lack of heifer retention. We came out with the, the recent January cattle on feed report that heifers as a percentage on feed was the, the fourth largest we've seen in, in modern history. David Trowbridge says he's seeing the same trend at his Iowa feedlot. I, I've actually seen kind of the number of replacement heifer retention for the, our customers that, that have some uh, marketing for selling replacement heifers has actually gone down a little bit. That's partially because many producers are still trying to heal. I will tell you that when we looked at keeping more heifers back this year, what I could sell those heifers at, I didn't keep as many heifers back because putting a little equity back in our operation kind of helps. Aging operators and the high cost to borrow money are also a deterrent. Higher interest rates are certainly impacting that as well. We've got higher costs. And Mother Nature also plays a role. I think most producers are being a little bit more cautious this time around just to make sure that that forecast is favorable for their area. But the outlook isn't just positive for supply, but also demand in 2024, according to Dave Weber with Terrain. The consumer expenditures have been terrific uh, through the back half of 2023, and all the ground that beef has made up uh, in the back half of 2023 took it out of the chicken business. He says it's tied to taste, and since COVID, more consumers are preparing high cuts of beef at home versus the restaurant. 
He says the improving economy and stock market also serve as a tailwind. International demand for U.S. beef was down slightly in 2023 with higher prices, but the U.S. Meat Export Federation is expecting a rebound in 2024. The predictions that we've got here that it's actually going to be up 5% could be over $10 billion. It's tied to demand for variety meats and the promotion of other value cuts in countries like Taiwan, Korea, and Mexico. So what does all this mean for prices in 2024? CattleFax releasing their projections at CattleCon 24, including record fed cattle prices. You know, fed prices, we look at them this past year in 2023, we averaged 175. We're suggesting we'll average 184 or 185 this year, so about a dime higher. Good says feeders will also hit new highs. On the feeder cattle, we would suggest 240, 250 on an eight weight is where we'll end up this year, so substantially higher than last year. While the higher replacement cost will keep break evens for feedlots tight, it's being offset by lower corn prices. They help the cattle feeder immensely from $7 corn down to $4.5 corn. It's taking cost of gains down from the dollar teens to down to close to a dollar, dollar five, somewhere in there. And the good news is this market cycle may have a longer tail with tighter numbers and ample slaughter capacity at packing plants. We remember back in 2010 and 2015, we lost quite a few packing plants. Right now we're starting to build more packing plants, so the leverage component will continue to favor the cattle producer longer in this cycle. I think we're still looking at at late 2026 at the earliest before we see any any potential for increased beef production. Add to that a calf crop that's the smallest in 82 years and there's good days ahead for cattle producers. I am more optimistic for 2024, 25 and 26 than I have been at any time in in my involvement in the, in the beef industry. Thanks, Michelle. Well, bottom line, it sounds like producers are upbeat here at CattleCon. Yeah, not just for 24 time, but for the next few years to come. Great to hear. Thank you, Michelle, so you much. Bet. We appreciate it. All right, when we come back, farmers in France are furious and protests are growing. We'll tell you why next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide. Raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. Farmers across Europe are protesting, and in France, the protests and road blockages started on January 18th over low food prices and proposed reductions in state subsidies. But on Thursday, France's two major farmers unions announced their decision to actually suspend protests and lift road blockades across the country. But before that, the scene was absolute chaos. Farmers driving tractors went head to head with French police tanks, blocking a key roadway. And that was just before French president was set to meet with the president of the European Commission. But before all of that, Melissa Bell was on site near Paris to report on the ongoing unrest. What we've seen uh, since yesterday are these farmers who'd been spreading their discontent fairly widely across France, uh, blockading roads with their tractors elsewhere around the country, dumping manure outside of local stores, uh, setting tires and waste to light to try and draw attention to their anger. It had begun in the south of France more than a week ago and has now moved progressively closer to Paris. And we're now just on the outskirts of Paris. Their plan is to stay until they get what they want from the government. Now, what they're complaining about 
are a combination of higher production costs as a result of the EU subsidy system and uh, government efforts to bring down food inflation for people, uh, coupled with uh, an extraordinary amount of red tape, they say, that makes it simply impossible for them to do their job. For instance, what French farmers say is that it takes them an entire day each week just to fill out the paperwork that they need in order to get their subsidies uh, from the common agricultural policy. So it's a number of different issues that they say have driven them to this, to trying to put a stranglehold around the French capital in order uh, to bring it to a halt. It is a siege that they're threatening. Uh, for now, just a few of these main uh, roads into Paris uh, are being blocked. Their threat, though, is that this will get greater. Now, as you can see, well, just behind me, where they had set up a little while ago a big uh, screen, they were listening to Gabriel Attal, the French Prime Minister, make a series of announcements to the French Parliament. For now, I have to say, it was a fairly broad speech, uh, very fiery. He's new in his job, he's very young, uh, and it was his job to try and show that he was determined to change the way the French state worked. In terms of specifics for farmers, it was fairly uh, short on those, but we expect more measures to be announced today. Much more crucial, though, likely to be this meeting on Thursday. EU leaders will meet. And remember that this is now a European-wide problem. Each set of farmers from the particular countries has their own set of grievances. But altogether, European-wide, uh, farmers are feeling the brunt of European regulations that are making their jobs harder, uh, European attempts to import cheap food, both grain and meat and milk, from outside the European Union, where they say uh, the, uh, the measures, the, the requests, the demands being made of farmers there are far less stringent. So there's an injustice, they say, at the heart of the system uh, that they are no longer willing to tolerate. And they say, uh, very much like you'll remember uh, uh, the yellow vest protests of a few years ago here in France, they were kicked off by that, that straw that broke the camel's back. It was a rise in uh, fuel uh, uh, taxes. Similarly, the drop really here that caused all of this to explode here in France was the announcement uh, that there would no longer be subsidies on the crucial diesel that many of these farmers use to run uh, their uh, farms. Now, as we mentioned, those protests were suspended Thursday with road blockades lifted after two major farmer unions met with French leaders. While the World Bank is projecting China's growth or GDP at 4.5% this year, the slowest in 30 years, and it could throttle back the amount of ag products it buys from the U.S. We've been covering the mounting economic woes in China for weeks, but the latest red flag came this week with China's real estate slowdown only getting worse. According to the Wall Street Journal, the country's 100 largest developers recorded a deep slump in new home sales during the month of January, with sales dropping a whopping 34% from a year earlier. It marked the worst month of sales since at least 2020, which was when China's real estate information changed the way it calculated the data. Economists warn that China's economy already feels like it's in a recession with the World Bank predicting China's economy to slow sharply this year. That's a look at ag around the world. Well, the chair of the Senate Ag Committee says she wants to make a major change in the farm bill. But an Iowa senator who's on the committee says there's no way it'll fly. That's in Chip's Corner next. Welcome back from National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention. Chip Flory is joining us from back in the AgriTalk studios. Chip, what good stuff do you have for us this week? 
I had a conversation with U.S. Senator Joni Ernst this week that was really eye-opening to me because we know that they continue to debate and talk about what's going to be in the farm bill. So, of course, I'm asking you for an update on it, including some of the proposals that are being put forward by the Senate Ag Chairwoman. She's not too impressed by some of the proposals. Senate Ag Committee Chairwoman Stabenow has proposed to make a a choice between subsidized crop insurance or the safety net provisions in the farm program, uh, the ARC. That the doesn't PLC. fly. It doesn't? Does not fly. It doesn't okay. fly. And she's, she's making, uh, she's trying to force our farmers to make this choice. Um, so when you see fluctuating prices, you know, we have the programs that address that. But if we have crop disasters, we have crop insurance, which addresses that. But what she is saying is you choose one or the other, you don't get both. And that will not work for those that are engaging in, uh, in crops like corn or soybeans. You know, maybe it works for other types of crops, but it doesn't work for our farmers in Iowa. So we do have real concerns about that. She didn't even let me finish. I heard that. She knew the question you were going to ask before you even asked it. And last weekend, Jim Wiesmeyer was filling in for you, and he talked about yeah. how this farm bill is becoming so partisan. Yeah, absolutely. More and more, we are hearing that the farm bill debate conversation passage is going to be pushed back to 2025. There are some other items on the agenda here that we need to think about. There is a growing consensus that the Senate is going to move back to Republican control. So Republican senators might be trying to delay the thing, thinking that they could get a quote-unquote better bill after the 24 elections if they can push it back and have control of the Senate at that time. All right, Chip Flory, you can hear Chip Flory weekdays at 10 a.m. Central for Agritalk AM, 2 p.m. Central for Agritalk PM. Great conversations every day. Chip, thank you for joining us. Stay with us because it is a prestigious honor to be inducted into the Cattle Feeders Hall of Fame. And we are hearing from one inductee who has quite the journey next. Well, each year at the Cattle Convention, one highlight is honoring the Cattle Feeders Hall of Fame inductees. It's a way of celebrating the cattle feeding industry and those who contribute to its ongoing success. This year, one of the recipients honored is a visionary who saw a void and uncovered a business that's continuing to leave a mark on the cattle feeding industry. Growing up in British Columbia, Key Jim says his sights weren't always set on becoming a vet. I wasn't, I wasn't one of those people who from the moment they were born wanted to be a veterinarian. But as, you know, as time went on, I became uh, more and more interested in, in the field. After he graduated in 1983, he founded a veterinary consulting company called Feedlot Health Management Services, working with feedlots as a veterinarian and drawn to the cattle feeding business. My idea was I would just focus on specifically on providing services uh, to, to feedlots and, and do that as a, you know, as a specialty. Right, and as, as it turns out, there was a significant void. Over a 40-year period, Jim's business focused on feedlot health and grew from just him to the largest consulting company of its kind around the globe. And currently, uh, we have 55 or so uh, professional consultants 
veterinarians, uh, PhD animal scientists, statisticians, and so on, and about 120 total employees. And about three years ago, now I guess it was, uh, Feedlot Health uh, was purchased in its entirety uh, by TELUS Agriculture. So it's now TELUS Agriculture. Today, the company serves clients throughout North America, but also in other countries like China and Mongolia. And he says that growth of both what was Feedlot Management Health along with his Feedlot business, GK Jim Farms, has been thanks to a utilization of science. Having a data-driven, research-based approach and using you know, the results uh, from very large-scale field trials to change what we do from the viewpoint of cattle procurement, cattle production, and cattle marketing, right? It's really the incorporation of science and data analyt analytics into day-to-day into -day production. Jim is well known throughout North America for his work, even being recognized as a top 10 innovator for Canadian agriculture. As he says, the feedlot business taps into some of the most sophisticated technology today. Technology on a large scale is utilized daily, and that's what attracted, you know, to tell us into, into buying our company because we have been at the leading edge of technology for a long time. Jim has devoted his career to enhancing the cattle feeding industry. And he says being inducted into the Cattle Feeders Hall of Fame this week is an honor and privilege. I can tell you that really never in my wildest dreams that I think that, you know, someone from a small ranch in the middle of nowhere, BC, right, where the nearest feedlot is 800 miles away, right, would ever, you know, would ever get here, right. So I'm very, I feel very honored and, and very privileged uh, to be inducted here this week. Congratulations to Dr. Key Jim, along with Jack Reeve of Garden City, Kansas, for being inducted in the 15th class of the Cattle Feeders Hall of Fame this year. Well, when we come back from finding unique ways to serve up beef demand to a calving miracle from the farm is next. Well, as you heard earlier in the show, higher beef prices are also causing higher prices at the store. But as we found out at CattleCon this year, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is finding unique ways to serve up demand. As inflation continues to consume food prices year over year, costs at restaurants are also up 2.9%. We're really seeing quite a significant increase from an inflationary perspective. In addition to that, we recognize that uh, people's willingness to pay is really uh, is, is starting to soften. The, they are, consumers are willing to pay uh, $8.97 a pound and steak on average, and this is specific to steak, is $9.98 a pound. So about a dollar difference. And so we are starting to see the market soften just a little bit. Jennifer Nielsen, Senior VP of Global Marketing and Research with NCBA, says even with the market softening a bit, the good news is research shows consumers still want beef. Consumers love beef. There is no doubt about it. Uh, in fact, 70%, up one percentage point from last year, 70% of U.S. consumers eat beef at least one time per week. And 80% of consumers are intending to eat beef at least as much or more than they did the prior year. She says that's according to a new Consumer Insights report just released this week. And that's what's shaping how the industry serves up content for consumers. So we're doing a lot more video 
we are spending a lot of time on recipes and really, again, just trying to reduce those barriers to make consumers comfortable and get them inspired and excited around cooking beef and enjoying it with their families. There's so much to offer when it comes to beef. The Missouri Cattle Women's Association has found success at the Missouri State Fair, cooking up five demonstrations a day using ground beef. But when we're cooking that, it has to be like a quick recipe because we want to give them a sample before they leave. And we talk about our operations so we can answer questions. We can engage with them. Uh, we ask them, what are you looking for? What, what do you want to know? What can we help you with? Easy recipes printed on cards for consumers to take. It's just one way to make sure beef continues to be what's for dinner. And in the show, check this out. Remember the frigid temps a few weeks ago? Well, faithful viewer Donna Spaith of Northwestern Minnesota says they've raised beef cattle for three decades and the livelihood of working cattle in the land, it allows her to feel God's miracles every day, especially during calving season. She says they're used to calving in the cold there, but this little calf was born over a month premature during the cold snap this month and with little hope to survive at any temperature. Donna found the newly born calf that weighed less than 40 pounds was severely hypothermic. She bundled it up in her coat, carried it across the pasture, placed the calf on the heated floor in the utility room. Somehow the calf pulled through an unexpected miracle that Donna wanted to share. Thank you, Donna. How special is that? Well, thank you for joining us from CattleCon this year for our live taping of U.S. Farm Report. Be sure to join us next weekend. We're off to Top Producer Summit in Kansas City, Missouri, as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.